funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5 flying high in both Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling it's the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like, that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. And I hope our guest doesn't get offended by me asking this, but how are you doing today, Bryant? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Basketball is uh, moving on ahead. Life is great. And uh, I'm happy to uh, bring back in our old friend, uh, old podcast host, Mr. Richard Ivanowski. How you doing, bud? Dude, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, I'm doing wonderful because I haven't watched a full Kings game in a number of weeks. Uh, so that always helps. That's the tonic for what ails me sometimes. But um, I'm really happy to be back uh, just briefly. And uh, you you guys have just been fucking killing it. But I forget. Can we swear on this? We can't. Right? doesn't matter okay. to me, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. We better. Um, you've done such a great job stepping up and stepping in and taking this podcast probably to a better place than it's ever been. So thank you, Bryant, uh, for doing that, man. Because I know uh, – I'm sure you guys have brought a little more levity. I don't think anyone is missing my negativity, but they get a little bit, little bit of it again tonight. Well, I speak for myself, and I'm sure I speak for a lot of the listeners, where I can say I very much miss your dulcet tones, your soothing voice, and your massive beard. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the game plan today is to kind of see what we can do for assessing McNair in his time so far in Sacramento, um, which he hasn't been through a full season yet. He came, he was signed last off season, um, but I think that you know there was an idea reporting that came out of a gap year being his plan for this season, um, but the moves that he's made don't quite point towards that necessarily so figured with a little bit of hindsight we can take a look at primarily the moves that happened last offseason and maybe a little bit of what did or didn't happen at this deadline as well Um, and you know I I think the main place to start is this Bogdan Bogdanovich deal right which I know at the time Rich and I were very critical of that I want to say Bryant you were as well I don't want to put words in your mouth very much very much so I wrote an article today that they uh turned down that offer that they very much needed to, uh, still feel like they do, that they really missed out there. Um, so we're three for three on missing bogey. Yeah, and he's balling out right now. Um, you know, I think four-year $72 million was the deal. And, you know, I think the only slight concern where I saw potential downside was bogey with a little bit of an injury history. And if something were to go sour there, 
Um, and, and maybe there was a little bit of that at the beginning of the year. He kind of had a rough start, but he was also in a situation with a lot of new players on that roster and getting reacclimated to a new system. He was coming off the bench for a while there. Um, but, Bryant, the stats that you have down here post-injury last 25 games, um, 17.8 points, 48% from the field, 45% from three, three-and-a-half rebounds about, as well as three-and-a-half assists. Um, I, I mean, bogey's worth the deal. I, I don't think that that's surprising, right? And it's it, it doesn't really change anything like this. Totally should have been signed. Is there... Is it as simple as that, or is there somewhat of an understanding that you have, Rich, of you know McNair coming in and kind of wanting to make the roster his own? They would have been in a tight spot financially, um, or is it just simple as, like, should have matched this no matter what? You would have got something back. Yeah, I think it is simple. And I think as Kings fans, we overcomplicate things in order to – make ourselves feel better because if you look at any Kings decision or any Kings season in the last 15 years, like just at its face, it's a bad thing. So we start to try to find hypothetical ways and it's like, well, you know, he must not have had, uh, you know, the opportunity to trade him for anything valuable or he must have felt like, you know, there must be a bigger plan. And I remember getting kind of angry and there was one, podcast that we did where I think it like it all boiled up inside me where I'm like I kind of like made you like contest all these points where I was like this is a stupid thing to say this is a stupid thing to say this is a stupid thing to say and it's the one that really bothered me was that like McNair has a big master plan because that's just something that we're reading into if you look at any of these decisions on their face they're just bad decisions and if you look at how he's performed this year as GM, he's just done a bad job. Um, and that's not to say he can't do a better job. And it's not, to say, it's like any, you know, any player, uh, I was thinking about like Darren Fox, like he had a bad rookie year. Doesn't mean he was going to be a bad player forever, but he just, he had a bad first year. I think that's a very fair analogy. Um, Darren Fox really did have a bad rookie year and uh, it was pretty quick into his second year that, everybody realized that he was going to be pretty good. So um, I don't want to just give Monty McNair a blank check for this year and just say, well, this is the year he had to get his feet wet. He had to figure everything out. He had to juggle a bad roster and a bunch of contracts because, well, each one of those things is true. It doesn't really it, – it, it gives too much of an excuse. I will agree with you. Um, I will say that, you know, I fully wish they had re-signed Bogey. Um, and I say that as a guy who very much wanted the Kings to start selling the all the veterans from the immediacy and, and go for a harsher rebuild, go for a little tank job, get a top five pick in this class. And I understand that re-signing Mogi probably would have complicated that. Um, and he would have complicated the, pocket, the pocketbook for, uh, I mean, De'Aaron Fox has a five-year, $168 million contract. Buddy Hill has three years left, $64 million. Bogey would next summer have $64 million. Harrison Barnes has two years, $39 million. I mean, that's a really big chunk of cap space to have on one star and three aging vets who probably don't fit your timeline. Um, so on, on that surface, I've always understood why people were hesitant to re-sign Bogey. 
But $18 million is clearly a fine evaluation for his talent and the types of players who get that much money. Um, And clearly, Milwaukee trying to trade for him at that time was a good indication that teams are going to try to trade for this guy. Um, The fact that Atlanta had trade conversations around Bogdanovich at the trade deadline, uh, I mean, that speaks to that too. So I very much wish the Kings had re-signed him and just given him all of Corey Joseph's minutes and all of Glenn Robinson's minutes. Um, I hear a lot of fans even trying to justify it now, like, well, he would have taken Tyrese Halliburton's minutes, to which case, like, I don't want to let Luke Walton off the hook for that assumption. Like, any smart coach could have figured out how to play four guards when you, when Luke Walton was very much playing a three-guard lineup all the frickin' time. So it, it, it annoys me that we have all of these reasons why letting Bogey go was a good thing when it clearly wasn't. Um, to me, that is the mistake that Monty McNair has made this uh, this season. Um, I don't really know that I'd consider anything else he's done or not done a mistake. Um, I don't, uh, with without any concrete uh, deal that he failed to make at the trade deadline, I can't really say that um, he made any mistakes there. I would have loved to have seen him make a bigger move. We've talked about that ad nauseum, so I don't want to let him off the hook in the absence of of doing something there. Um, but I really do feel like this summer is going to be, you know, it's, just, it's the end of the Monty McNair honeymoon. He's got to start doing stuff. If this team wants to turn it around, uh, he really needs to figure out a way to get away from this kind of cap space hell that he's stuck himself in. Um, does he want to re-sign Rashawn Holmes? Because he's got to figure out how to make space there. What's he going to do with Marvin Bagley? Who the heck knows? Would have probably been great to see him moved at the trade deadline if you were going to move him at all. So a lot of questions, and I don't blame any Kings fan for being sick of the idea that this team is still very much up in the air. I think when you're talking last offseason, like you said, the clear negative is not re-signing Bogey, and the clear plus is drafting Halliburton, but don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, you get credit for taking the right guy, but it was the obvious pick. Um, so not sure exactly how much to put into that. Um, and, and yeah, I do want to reiterate what Rich said. Brian also said that like, just because you have a bad year doesn't mean you're a bad GM. You know, GM, same as players, are going to make mistakes. There's a learning curve and things like that. Um, but it is going to come down to this offseason for me because that's what's going to decide if this past deadline was a mistake from McNair of – you know, you can't go two off seasons in a row of letting one of your starting caliber players walk for absolutely nothing. Um, and, and again, that's Bogdanovich last off season, and that would be Holmes in this upcoming one. Um, so that is kind of where everything lies to me right now. Um, but the other mistake to me, or, or kind of just puzzling decision, if the idea is to get younger, um, because while he hasn't had a great amount of like little risk opportunities to make that happen. The obvious one was just simply keeping Daquan Jeffries. Um, like he signed a very reasonable deal in the off season. We saw him have a really good bubble and it's like, okay, well why 
are you keeping around, say, Hassan Whiteside or a, a handful of guys? I think there's three or four guys on this roster I would have cut before Daquan Jeffries. So that's the one other one to me where it's like you're potentially letting a, you know, I think Jeffrey Stealing is only like eighth guy on a roster or something like that, maybe a little higher, but that's a, that's still a player that you could have got as a rotation player for absolutely nothing. And to just let that guy walk out the door, I think was a decision this season that was um, one that I also look at it and I'm like, that one is a, a clear negative to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised that you guys are <clears throat> not, I don't know, kind of kind of referring to his, like, one mistake. Because I see his – my concerns about McNair are, are holistic. Like, it's it's his approach or lack thereof. It's his direction or lack thereof. Like, it – none of it makes any sense to me. Where we're – you know, generally uh, a GM will come in and it's they're trying to compete now or they're building for the future. And I think that so much of what McNair's done is like sitting on the fence between those two things, or just nonsensical uh, in general. Like it never made sense to me the Whiteside and, and Robinson signings, especially with the the title by Denovich thing into it. It's like, are you trying to compete now? Okay, maybe keep around this really really good player on a reasonable deal. Okay, if you're not going to do that, that's fine. But then I want to see you move. Buddy, or move Barnes, or make room to resign Holmes, or trade Holmes, or you know, do, like pick a, a direction or a lane. And I don't think that I've seen that at all. And like the cutting Jeffries thing, like it just doesn't add up. Like, what's is that? Was that because you thought Damian Jones would help you make the plan, or do you care about the future, or you know, like what even is what's your goal even, or is this just is random? I agree that um, I've been confused at Monty McNair's direction here. Uh, and I don't know if that's just because we've always associated general managers coming in with taking one direction or the other. Because I really do feel like the moves that the Kings have made have signaled the team that if they made the playoffs, great. If they didn't make the playoffs, fine. Um, but for a, a small market team, like the Kings aren't the Kings needed to take a more central direction one way or the other. Uh, and I feel like that's been our main criticism of this year is that in this gap year, uh, with everything up in the air, with veterans that could be traded or that we assume could be traded, we don't know, we didn't, we didn't make the trades, um, it, it, they just there was never a clear, all right, this is what we're trying to do. Um to me, the reason that I won't say that Monty McNair has been a failure is because I really do feel bogey, it was a mistake. The signings in the offseason, Shemezi Matu, Hassan Whiteside, Daquan Jeffries, Frank Kaminsky, who got cut, Glenn Robinson, who got cut, none of those to me are mistakes. What is a mistake to me is that the Kings couldn't do something more meaningful with the mid-level exception. I mean, I think the only piece of the mid-level exception that they used was to sign Shemezi Matu to a multi-year deal, and then they eventually cut him to sign him to a two-way deal. So to me, 
the mistake then would be in the lack of something meaningful for this team. The mistake at the trade deadline was just to tinker around the edges rather than do something that meant more meaning, that was more meaningful to the long-term goals of rebuilding this team. So in the absence of those deals, I can't really say anything he did was a mistake, but I agree with you. I would have much preferred him picking a direction. And for me, it would have been trading Harrison Barnes for some piece of upside and, and Boston's TPE or figuring out some way to get Marvin Bagley to a different situation and at least clear his contract if you don't feel he's a piece of the team moving forward, and clearly they don't. So I don't know. In the absence of a meaningful deal, I understand why you'd be disappointed. I'm I'm just – it feels like, it feels like a, a weak take to say I'm waiting for this offseason, but – I, I, I very much am waiting for this offseason. If he doesn't do anything meaningful but draft this season, then I'm going to be upset. Yeah, and Walton's got to be the obvious change to it, the deadline. But Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I will say, like, I don't think that McNair, like, has the team in a shitty position right now or anything. I, I guess the home situation is going to be kind of desperate this offseason, and that is the rough situation. Um, but I, I don't think that he, you know, maybe as I'm listening to this, like maybe the idea of a gap year for some somehow means to him, like, I'm just not going to do anything this year, um, which I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I'm starting to realize maybe that's what the definition of a gap year is to McNair. Um, okay. Well, okay. What is the gap year? Is this a thing or is this something that we've invented to like excuse? No. Well, this was the reporting in the in gap year. Is I maybe I'll just explain to me: Is this a normal thing that other teams do, where it's like, "Hey, we're hiring you to improve this team, but don't worry about it for a year and then start"? Well, I don't. I don't think that like gap year is actually what I just defined it as. I think to me, gap year meant like we weren't. This was going to be the last year we didn't care about winning, right? And I thought that meant you know selling off Barnes or Holmes. Um, or, or sorry, Barnes healed, or, or I guess Holmes as well, um, and that didn't quite happen. But at the same time, like you are sitting at the seventh odds, um, and in a spot to get a good draft pick. Like I, I don't think that. While I do think that this, he didn't pick a specific direction. I also don't think that he limited himself from still having those directional options. I feel like not trading one of the veterans really has kind of capped how he can move forward. Um, like, he's not going to have cap season this offseason. If he has space, if he manages to carve space, it's probably going to go to Rashawn Holmes or it'll go to re-signing Rashawn Holmes for a sign-in trade. Um, and, and to Rich's point, none of the other teams that made GM changes this offseason looked at this as sort of a let's keep fluid, let's play the field, let's see what happens and move from there. Like, that's not what Detroit did. It's not what Oklahoma City did. Um, I don't know who who else changed. That's not what Houston did. I mean, Houston is the perfect example of this. They traded their veterans. Okay, so from that perspective, I get what you mean by gap year. It's like a, a tank year is kind of what you're saying. But then he specifically didn't 
tank. It's like I, that's that's what I'm confused about. Is like that's where he get, like, gets back on the where he's riding this fence riding thing. Where it's like, okay, this is one more year from your from what you're explaining. That would make sense. One more year where playoffs aren't the only thing we care about. But then it does seem to me that uh, they left that McNair left a lot on the table to keep Buddy and 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 uh, Barnes and. You know, I think this goes back to something that we hear a lot too. That well, we just didn't know the deals that were out there, so we're going to assume there wasn't enough offered for Barnes. But I do get the feeling that there was something, right? I I, I would be pretty surprised if he couldn't have gotten the first, and and maybe he wanted two firsts, and that's where I would be like, well, then what are we, what are we doing? I mean, like what the, it, you. What's really going on? It, it does seem like there was a push at the deadline. Well, we're we're going to make the playoffs, or we're going to make the play in, I should say. Um, so, in in that respect, that's where the gap year thing falls apart for me. Where it's it's like uh, if you if you if it's a rebuild year, great. But like, what the f- what what was built? Nothing. Nothing was built. No assets were accumulated for the future. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. Like, I, I don't think that this is a good year for McNair by any stretch. Like, I, I think that this is totally fine to label this as a bad year. I guess the only thing, like, I defend somewhat is that, like, I still think this team is in a fine position moving forward. Um, and, yeah, you know, maybe that's not because of mo- moves McNair made or anything like that. But say they, like, what? It, how much better are their odds if they, if you're just talking about draft odds, how much better are their odds if they did move Barnes? Like they're seventh right now, but they are they like sixth with Cleveland? You know, they're probably not jumping top five. Um, the the flaw in our argument is that there are so many teams this season that have full tanked, and if the Kings had embraced it from the beginning, they'd very much be in the group of Houston, Minnesota, Orlando, Detroit. Oklahoma City, and now Cleveland. Cleveland kind of came in late, but, you know, that's a deep group. And unlike previous years, tanking doesn't mean as much because the odds are so different. Like, you you don't guarantee a top four pick by being number one anymore. It, it, it all, well, I mean, you do. <laughs> it's just not a 25% shot at number one. Um, so in that aspect, I get it, but, you know, the only thing I will say, Monty McNair definitely aced the number 12 pick in the 2020 NBA draft. He absolutely did that. And now the Kings moving forward have their guard rotation of the future. Uh, two guys who I think have fringe all-star potential, all-NBA potential in Fox's case. Um and I don't want to make – because like Richard said, it was an obvious pick. It was a clear pick. Any GM now would be stupid to let Tyrus Halliburton fall to 12. So I don't want to sit here and be like, well, yeah. Monty McNair is clearly a smart GM because he drafted Tyrus Halliburton. But if Vladi Divac had drafted Luka Doncic, we'd have built him a statue by now. Sometimes right. um, you, yeah. you don't criticize the GM for making the obvious pick. You don't criticize the player for playing well when you expect him to. So, like, I'm going to give him a pass on that one, but the rest of it is very much up in the air. 
You're right, and he does deserve credit for that. Um, but my this is like a genuine hypothetical question that I, I posed to uh, the you know the guys over at the Kings Herald, but I don't I don't think I got a real answer just just from like a, a thought exercise. Like, say Halliburton was picked, right? Because I mean. The ESPN analysts, like, when those guys are sitting there, like, how has he not been picked yet? You know, like, Phoenix has got to make this pick here at 10. Uh, got to take Halliburton or whatever. Just say, for example, that uh, Halliburton was gone. And let's just assume, you know, McNair made a good pick. So let's assume he makes another good pick. Say he gets, like, the second or first best available play. Say it's, like, a Sadiq Bay or a... Say he goes Poku, or you know, choose whoever you want there. Like, how are we viewing McNair right now? I'm just curious how how like I, I feel like McNair kind of nailed it, crushed it there, and then since then has just really disappointed me personally. Yeah, I'll say like the same way that you know I I view like there was bad decisions, but that doesn't make him a bad GM. I don't think that that good decision at the draft makes him a good GM either. Um, so I, I don't know that, like, I look at the Halliburton pick and I'm and I'm labeling McNair a good GM because of that. So I think, like, the jury would still be out either way for McNair. Um, and, yeah, that, that that's pretty much where I'm at with that. Like, I, I don't know that – well, the Halliburton pick has made me have more hope for the team in the future and just in actually a reason to turn on each game every single night. Um, I, I don't know that that has, like, changed my opinion of McNair necessarily. I will say that there is – Tyrese Halliburton has helped the Kings win basketball games this season. Like, replace Tyrese Halliburton with whatever player you want. You all know who I would have picked at 12 if Tyrese Halliburton had been off the board. Um, but let's let's go with Poku because he's the most extreme example. And our buddy Will has made this example plenty of times. If the Kings had drafted Poku, Poku wouldn't have been able to do anything that Tyrese Halliburton has done in terms of impacting actual basketball games for a long time. The Kings would be in a much worse place. They'd probably be in the group of Oklahoma City, Detroit, Cleveland a lot earlier than they were. They'd have a higher chance at the, at the top pick this year. So it really is a kind of a give and take. Like, remove Tyrese Halliburton, the Kings are worse. Keep Tyrese Halliburton, and the Kings have their guard rotation for the future. So, it, I don't know. It's a, it's a really tough thought exercise, but to me, it's not one that... Like, it, it's not going to change how I approach Monty McNair, because I agree with Brendan. The one... All right. You took the obvious guy. You took the dude every single person in the Kings fandom wanted at 12. You took the very obvious dude. But aside from, hey, you made the right move, we can't say much more than that. I'll I'll say the one other negative thing that I'll pin on McNair is, you know, if if he was told that, like, part of this gap year was, you know, you have to wait out a year of Walton, right? This is the first year they're not not paying two coaches, right? They want to go through a year of that, let's say. Say he was told he wasn't allowed to keep – he had to keep Walton for this one year. At least tell Walton to play the young guys. Like, it, it, that has to fall on McNair a little bit as well. 
Um, you picked Woodard, you picked Ramsey, like see what these guys have. Um, part of these wacky rotations that we want to put on Luke so much, like it, it's not like McNair doesn't have a say in this. So I should say like that should be factored in a, a little bit here as well. While, you know, a lot of the blame goes to Walton, I, I think that McNair does have a say in that. Yeah, and I think that just speaks to the general approach because I I, I think that I um, I feel good about the conversation around McNair because what I kind of threw out there to the group, which is what, um, part of the reason that we're having this discussion, is I just wanted to open up the the thought of like, is it possible that McNair sucks? And I think that. We agree it's possible, and I, I just didn't feel like we had really discussed that. Or I've been out of the loop a lot, you know, with the new job and um, the move and all this stuff. But I just want to make sure we're having that conversation um, because it's possible he's really good. Um, but I think it's also really possible that this dude sucks. Um, and I'm just gonna—I wanted to get that out there. And then I also wanted to get to like the the deeper issue, which I think is is very real, which is you know. And it, and it kind of has to be mentioned in any McNair conversation is like how much is Vivek affecting McNair's ability to even do his job to begin with? Because for the most part, we were all excited about McNair. And you just wonder, I personally wonder how much of his approach is is being filtered through what Vivek needs, what he demands of McNair. I wonder how much of this year was kind of with the Luke thing and with the Bogdanovich thing was part of the interview process. Like, listen, man, we need to save some money this year. Um, it was widely reported that Vivek was, you know, and the Kings were struggling financially. Hey, we need to not pay an extra $20 million to this player, and we need to not hire another head coach and pay double head coaches. And can you just make us look decent while saving us some money? And if McNair is a workman like, you know, kind of bottom line type of guy. He's like, look, yeah, like I can I, I can not spend a ton of money and I can try to get us as close to that plane as possible and I'll do it by signing the Hassan White sides of the world. I think that there's a, a narrative that you could write there and I don't want to get too much into inventing stuff either because I think we're doing too much of that to, to defend him as well. But what it comes down to for me like is is the approach. I just wanted a GM to come in here with a clear vision a clear direction or a clear approach and just be like, we want to get better in the future. So I'm not going to sign Hassan Whiteside. And I think that is a mistake, even though it costs almost nothing. I can't see just from opportunity cost alone, just sign a young player, get, give those minutes to a young player. Um, why did we waste time on Glenn Robinson Jr. when we could have developed Jaquan Jeffries? Why did we cut Jaquan Jeffries? It's all that stuff. But, but in the end, that's all I wanted to do is just get this, conversation going so I, I appreciate you guys uh doing that with i will say that uh if you rewind the clock to 2014 i'm sure that we were having the same exact conversation about pete d'alessandro um and i don't want to put that out there to imply that i think that money McNair is is going to be as bad a GM when we're looking back on it because Lord help me if he is oh God it's just a dark dark place we're going to there um, but I don't think it's an irrational conversation to have um, 
I really think this offseason is going to – he's got to ace this offseason. He absolutely has to. He's got to pick the right coach. He's got to make the right draft pick, whatever pick he ends up having. Uh, and he's got to make some moves. This team is too um, strapped in the cap sheet to uh, move forward with this roster. Um, Luke Walt needs to be fired the moment that the season is over. And uh, he's got to ace this offseason. Full stop. Totally. I think the offseason can, you know, really put this team in a in a bright direction moving forward. But uh, I'm with Rich and, and Brian. Like, I wish that there was a more clear direction. Um, and like Rich said, I think it's important. Like, he very much could be a bad GM, but he also could be a good GM that is just making some mistakes at the beginning of his tenure. And there's a learning curve for, for him here as well, just the same as anyone else. And it sucks that we're never going to know how involved ownership is, even though, you know, reporting seems that they're at least involved in some sort of capacity, but you just have to hope that, you know, you start to win a little bit and, and Vivek is able to, to kind of take his hands off and back up a little bit, like what seems to be the case in New York, right? The other place that was looked at is kind of the Sacramento of the East, where it's just ownership getting in the way, or are they ever going to be able to get to competency and even New York obviously has the advantage of being in a big market and you know they're able to add players through free agency when Sacramento's going to have to do it through trade or or the draft as well um, but you you have seen like you know what a coaching change can do and and just getting some wins um, seemingly can make ownership back up and McNair may need to just gain more trust from Vivek um, but, yeah, it's hard to speculate on that because we don't know what percentage is what, but there's always going to be those whispers and concerns um, because too many people pulling in different directions is definitely going to be concerning. And I, I wish that there was a clear direction for the team, but like I said, I, I do think that they are the Kings are not far from being in a decent spot moving forward. Like they have a solid core. Um, I, I don't know how much that credit goes to McNair for – building that or anything like I mean kind of Vlade I'm really just talking about Halliburton Fox you know and, and I don't know that McNair can get credit for either one of those guys like we we touched on how much credit he may or may not deserve for the Halliburton pick at 12 um, but yeah I mean the jury's still out you know like I think you saw Gerson Rosas in Minnesota who they come from the same tree in Houston it's looking pretty sour for him pretty quickly. You know, that D'Angelo Russell trade I think looks really bad. Um, I, I think the Wiggins deal is potentially more movable. They're probably about on equal level, and there's a chance that they're losing the fourth pick in this draft. Um, I, I think that that just, like, clearly is a bad move. And I, I guess the last thing I'll say, like, it seems to me like McNair, my guess would be that McNair's plan is – to really make a splash in a trade that that seems to be what and, and this is just basing off again kind of what they did in Houston right they went after Dwight Howard they that's how they acquired James Harden there is Chris Paul um, and, and then you see the Houston tree like I mentioned in Minnesota trading D'Lo um, so it, it does kind of seem that it's we're going to gain some talent in the draft and we're going to wait until the right opportunity to take advantage of a different of a team being desperate, like the say 
you know, DeLon Wright, Terrence Davis situation, I guess, where you're getting guys for what probably is like good value in a vacuum, um, but on a larger scale. So to me, it seems like McNair's probably just going to wait to make a big splash trade. Um, and I, I don't know how long you can just sit, wait, and do nothing. And that's that's the problem right now. But to me, that's what ends up happening down the line. Do we have any final thoughts on McNair before we uh, take a break, go to our second segment, kind of talk about these last two games, Bryant? No, I think we covered it all from my perspective. Um, thanks for hopping on, Rich. I know that uh, life is very hectic for you right now, so thanks for making the time. Best of luck with everything you got going on. No doubt, man. Um, thanks for having me back. I'm sure I brought uh, a bunch of negativity with me. <laughs> I don't think the uh, podcast review is too bad. But, um, yeah, man, it's a, it's a really fun time in my life. I'm really excited. I'm headed back to California tomorrow. And, um, yeah, guys, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to tune into some of these some of these games now. I mean, it, that, that is the joy of Tyrus Halliburton, at least. At least, uh, at least this shit is watchable. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll check back in with you guys soon. All right. On the second part of this episode, we're just planning on touching on a little bit of this Golden State and Mavericks back-to-back that the Kings just played, and they ended up losing the first game against the Warriors and winning the second night at home in the Golden 1 Center against the Dallas Mavericks. And, you know, the the most notable thing to me in that Golden State game, and really it it does translate to the Dallas game as well, is there's no De'Aaron Fox because of COVID protocol. Um, I believe it's about 10 to 14 days, and with only a dozen or now 11, I believe it is, after this Dallas game left in the season, um, there is going to be a handful of games that Fox is not available for here. And the way I would like to see this closed out is Halliburton be extremely aggressive. Um, You know, there's been plenty of moments where you felt like he should, excuse me, really try to take over games, and you don't really see that happen. You know, part of the greatness, I've said it a bunch of times, of Tyrese Halliburton is that he is unselfish. He's constantly looking to get his teammates involved. Um, But he only had one game this year prior to the Warriors game with 20 field goal attempts or more, and it was actually exactly 20 field goal attempts. And that was that game against Brooklyn that you wrote a piece after that he was extremely impressive, and it was also his highest minutes played, which I don't think is a coincidence. And then he had this very big fourth quarter against the Warriors, and it it is only the second game of the year with at least 20 field goal attempts. Also happens to be exactly 20 in this one, and the second most minutes he's played. 37 on the night. Um, again, I don't think that is a coincidence. So love to see him getting extended stretch. And the main thing to me, and I, I wrote a piece on this at the Kings Herald, so definitely go check that out. Great work there all the time from everyone on that site, Bryant and I included. Um, but yes, the fourth quarter was just like a pick and roll clinic. It was Chemezi Metu and Tyrese Halliburton, it felt like for the entire fourth quarter. Um, at first, it was a lot of drop coverage with Kevon Looney involved, and Halliburton initially walked into a layup, and then Looney's more concerned with him, so he throws a lob to Metu. Um, you see switches that they tried to do. They tried to put Andrew Wiggins as the one guarding Metu, so that way they could just switch the pick-and-roll coverage, but they were a little bit lackadaisical. Um, and 
Halliburton just pulled the three when the switch wasn't very clean from them. He had um, Draymond Green ended up coming to the game as the center for Golden State, and, and then they're switching everything from there. And Halliburton was even able to take advantage of former Defensive Player of the Year, even though, you know, foot speed is definitely significantly slower from <laughs> that time. Um, definitely. It, sound, it sounds nice, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was able to take advantage of him off the dribble a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I will say, like, the one thing of Green is he's still a very intelligent defender, and Halliburton was a couple feet behind the three-point line, and Draymond Green is still closing out extremely hard on him with that distance. So it just speaks to the gravity that Halliburton has, and that allowed him to get to the rim. Um, but it was just a pick-and-roll clinic. And, you know, I think the usage is the main thing that you want to see go up for Halliburton. Um, he, he was at about 17% prior to this Mavericks game. And fellow rookies, Ant is at 26%. LaMelo's 27 Like, that needed to be upped. He needed to be more involved. Sometimes there's going to be possessions where, you know, you just got to make something happen like we've seen Fox do this year. Like it, when you just realize someone's going to have to throw up an unideal shot or make something happen, I want that to be Halliburton instead of Harrison Barnes right now because those feel like the two options. And it makes sense that Barnes is more likely to get you a good opportunity right now, but it's more important for the future that Halliburton develops that ability. And if he wants to prove that he has star upside, which I think is still very much a question, um, is it elite role player or is it true all-star, you know, maybe, I won't say all-NBA, is it all-star caliber upside um, is still very much in question. And I think this last stretch of games, specifically with Fox out, is a chance for him to prove that a little bit. And and he definitely did that in that Golden State game, which was my... uh, Main takeaway from that one, and I also Harrison Barnes was pretty hot to start that one as well. Yeah, um, I missed the Warriors game yesterday, uh, so I really appreciated uh, catching up on it with your uh, excellent post on the Kings Herald. Um, that fourth quarter show by Tyrese Halliburton looks absolutely amazing. Uh, the exact kind of thing you want to see from uh, your secondary initiator when De'Aaron Fox is out for a while. Uh, I completely agree with you that if there's anything I'm going to be looking for over the next week uh, with De'Aaron Fox out, it's going to be Tyrese Halliburton's aggressiveness. Um, you know, he he needs to understand that he's not only the best playmaker on this team with De'Aaron Fox out, but honestly, he's probably one of the better shot creators at this point. Um, I think James Ham noted yesterday that Tyrese Halliburton was the only king to have a uh, field goal make in the fourth quarter, which is pretty insane. Yeah. Um, wasn't quite so great in the fourth quarter tonight. Honestly, I think he was a little bit uh, more hesitant than I would have appreciated. Uh, just one of four, a couple of um, one bad uh, air ball late in the game. Uh, King still pulled it off, 113-106 against the Mavericks. Um you know, I, 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 it's kind of funny to me that the Kings have suddenly become uh, Dallas's freaking kryptonite. <laughs> uh, it's pretty, really ironic. Um, I think this was a game where Dallas really just beat themselves up. Um, Kings played pretty good defense throughout it, and I thought Tyrese Halliburton's best moments in the game tonight were honestly on defense. Um, there was a fourth quarter lockdown where he just did an excellent job on the Doncic and 
uh, turned what should have been a Luca floater into a Luca pass that just went nowhere. Um, honestly, I, I wish that Tyrese Halliburton was a little more uh, aggressive tonight, but then I looked at his box score at the end of the game, 14 points, 10 assists, 5 rebounds, 3 steals. It's like, okay, I'll take that from my rookie guard any night of the week. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm with you. I, I wish there was a little bit more in that fourth quarter. I want to say he had nine assists with about you know six, seven minutes left in that third quarter, um, and I was really hoping he would end up with a season high. I believe his season high or, or also career high is 11 so far this year. Um, would have liked to see him top that, but not too big a deal, um, really. They, I agree. They with probably could have. He probably could have gotten that career high if they just kept doing pick and rolls with him and Rashawn Holmes because my goodness, that was just unstoppable. None of Dallas was big at any well uh Boban had one moment there where he stopped a pick and roll pretty aggressively. Yeah. Um but the rest of the night, I mean Rashawn Holmes had uh twenty four points, six rebounds on nine to twelve from the field and uh, I would hazard a guess that quite a few of those field goals came off of Tyrese Halbert picks. I mean, uh, passes. So um, it's just really nice to see the Kings actually running pick and rolls between their uh, star guard and their big man over and over and over. Makes me really wish that uh, Marvin Bagley was all right setting picks and rolling to the basket. Totally. That's a really good point, actually. I hope that we see that a lot to close out the year with the talk that Bagley's going to come back. Um, even though you know we're we're definitely winding down at this point, I don't see why you're not just honestly like running a Halliburton pick and roll every single possession. Like I, I don't know what your other genuinely viable options are with Fox not out there. Like it when it wasn't Halliburton, it was like Delon Wright or Buddy Heald running a pick and roll, and it's I, I just don't know why you would choose those guys over Halliburton. And and in that um, Golden State game. He ended up getting blitzed and doubled in the pick and roll, which I think I want to say that's the first time I've seen that this year. Um, and, you know, the team was not quick enough in making decisions or you would see like two guys cut at the same time on, on the opposite side of that where the team just wasn't quick enough to take advantage of a advantageous number situation. But, um, yeah, for him to be drawing double teams, I think it, it both speaks to – the level of play Halliburton was at at that moment of time and the surrounding talent around him, um, like if Fox is on the floor. I, I hope that they keep running Halliburton pick and rolls when Fox is on the floor because if Fox oh, is given an advantageous situation, he's absolutely going capitalize to capitalize on it every single time. Fox is capitalizing on one-on-two on, on one on situations um, – I, I Yeah, I mean, I absolutely hope that that is getting run more often, take a little bit of the load off of Fox on the offensive end of the uh, floor. And, uh, you know, ideally when you have a defense that isn't switching Damian Jones or Chemezi Metu onto Stephen Curry and Luka Doncic, that Fox can exert some of his en- <laughs> energy on the defensive end of the floor as well, where I think he can be a pretty good defender there as well. So, yeah, I mean, this is definitely nice progress from Halliburton no matter even though it was a little bit of a lackluster fourth quarter and I do agree with you that I, I do feel like this was more of Dallas beating themselves rather than Sacramento outplaying them like Luca to have 24 and 8 
is actually really surprising to me looking at that line, and I think he did a lot of it in that fourth quarter and, and second half. Um, but I, I kind of thought that he could do whatever he wanted all game long but wasn't really um, asserting himself. Maybe there was something, you know, they're missing a couple starters tonight on Dallas's side, and they have a back-to-back tomorrow. So who knows how much that played into account tonight. Um, but definitely a team that's trying to win games. So while I, I do think that Dallas beat themselves, I mean, Sacramento had to play some decent basketball in order to pull through here, and I thought they did that on the offensive end of the floor at least. I thought they played pretty intense defense, too. I was pretty impressed with how Sacramento was handling Luka pretty much all game long. Um, and I say that staring at the box score, he was 8 of 20 uh, mm-hmm. and 4 of 12 from 3. Um, I even thought that Damian Jones in, uh, had a couple of moments where he swapped onto Luka and forced him into tough-looking shots. So um, I thought the Kings' defense was pretty all right tonight. And... Uh, First time I've said that in a good long time. <laughs> um, we should note uh, Harrison Barnes uh, got injured halfway through the third quarter, was out the rest of the game with, I think it was a strained uh, abductor. Um, so no idea if that's an injury that's going to uh, be keeping him out for any extended period of time. So we'll have to see about that one. Uh, but Kings didn't really need him in the fourth quarter, uh, which was pretty good to see. Um, I think the other big thing was uh, that Luke Walton did kind of stick with his promise to um, open up the rotation a little bit and uh, played seven young guys. Um, Damian Jones got 23 minutes, uh, eight points, seven rebounds. Like I said, had some really solid defensive moments. Uh, Had two what would have been highlight dunks just clang off the back of the rim which was pretty disappointing to see because yeah, those, those would have been so un- close. Oh, I, I audibly gasped for both of those. Man, that first like, one <gasps> would have been yeah, that first one would have been on, on Sports Center all night. Um, and Shemezi Metu, my goodness, dude, thinks he's a stretch four all of a sudden. Yeah, what do you what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Because going into the night, I want to say it was only ten or eleven threes all season from Metu, and he's one of three from deep tonight. Um, I'm super glad to see him letting it fly. You know, I think he displayed really good touch from the mid range. Might as well try and do that from beyond the arc. Um, but I I don't know. Like when you know, I think part of Halliburton's struggles in the fourth quarter was that the lineup he's out there with is himself, Buddy Heald, and then Mo Harkless, Chemezi Metu, and Rashawn Holmes. Yeah. And that's really rough spacing. Boy, it's almost like uh, Tyrese Halliburton really benefits from playing with another uh, primary ball handler. Yeah, it's crazy how that works. Who who, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, still... what, what do you think of this Metu at the four thing? Because, you know, I, I don't... I don't know. I can tell you that if Woodard was healthy, it would have pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, if if Robert Woodard was healthy and he didn't get like 10 minutes of playing time tonight, I would have been pretty disappointed. Um, you know, it's really easy to watch Damian Jones and Shemezi Metu play meaningful minutes and think, like, I, I feel like this is a, the trap that we as Kings fans always get into. Boy, these uh, these bench reserve guys are playing really hard. They're flashing some good things. Shemezi Metu's hitting threes, and and one of his not threes was 
him baiting a three, taking one step in and stroking a mid-range over Willie Cauley-Stein. That was really sweet. Um, Poetic. Yeah, and, and during that point, I think I, I texted a Kings fan, all right, re-sign them both. Let's go. <laughs> Keep them both for next year. Um, so, you know, if Shemezi Matu really wants to spend all of this uh, summer proving that he can become a stretch four, um, that's a good way for him to have value in this league. Um, and Damian Jones has sure been a really good defensive center uh, for how much the Kings have been playing him. Uh, I think back to that game-saving defensive stand against Carl Anthony Towns in that second T-Wolves game. Um, mm-hmm. He's had some real bright defensive moments in this short series, season for him so far. So uh, he really... If if I was uh, Monty McNair, I would seriously consider bringing them both back for at least training camp next year. See what your new coach thinks of them, because maybe you got one or two players who can actually be on this team moving forward. Yeah, I don't particularly like the idea of Metu at the four. I think like it's okay because the issue is defensively, right? I, and offensively, I mean, he needs to be able to hit that three if that if that's what you're doing there with a five that can't shoot as well, um, mm-hmm. which which there's totally potential there for that, right? I think he can make it work on the offensive end. But I think laterally, if he's guarding fours on the perimeter, what most modern fours are are going to present a problem for him. But yeah. when it's a night like tonight where it's Dorian Finney-Smith he's matched up against, I kind of get it. You know, like, that that makes sense. That's not somebody that's going to take advantage of Shemesi Metsu or anything. Um, but I, I still totally view him as a five. And I think kind of what I take from watching, like, Metsu and Jones, and it's like, oh, like, these guys are kind of something, you know, is, like, what I feel like I've been saying for a while is, like, centers are very replaceable in this league. There's a oh, lot. Oh, God, here we go. There's a lot of value. This has nothing to do with Rashad Hubs, don't worry. There's a <laughs> lot of going. replaceable centers in this league yeah. that are, like, valuable backup centers, maybe even, you know, low-tier starting centers. But the Kings just seem to sign centers that are borderline rotation players every single offseason. Like, why? Like, Hassan Whiteside, prime example, you know, like, Harry Giles, absolutely love the guy, but like I just he's not a quality NBA player at the current moment, you know, specifically defensively. Like I don't think it's that hard to find replaceable centers. And maybe, you know, there's maybe this is some slight credit to McNair that he was able to find these two guys. Um but I'm definitely like as much as, you know, it's it's cool that these guys maybe are coming into their own in Sacramento and I wanna say this is the final day of Damian Jones's second 10-day contract. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening with him. That is I correct. Certainly, yeah, I certainly don't mind keeping them around, but, you know, I, I'm definitely not feeling like either one of these guys are more than, you know, slightly above minimum or minimum deals um, because I think there are plenty of players, their caliber or slightly better, that are available on the market every single year. Um, but you know it's easy it's easy to be jaded when Sacramento has just been filled with poor poor centers. Um, even though yeah, like I said, I think there's a lot of these type of guys on the market. Yeah, absolutely the truth. I think we can both agree that uh, Hassan Whiteside shouldn't see another minute this season, right? No, please no. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I have another tag. Um, I'm, I would kind of rather not see Kyle Guy play again. Um, he was pretty bad in this game. Um, I forget who threw him the the pass, but he had one corner three where he just hot potatoed it out of his hand as possible, quick as he possibly could, and had nowhere, no chance of making it. Um, I'd rather see Jemias Ramsey get those minutes. It's time. Yeah, I certainly don't mind Guy, but I would love to see Jr. get thrown out there as well. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely know the Kyle Guy three you're talking about. It's it's very like Clay Thompson esque, just in regards to form. You know, where he, he you could tell this year because it wasn't the first time we've seen it where he's worked on this. You know, not needing to bring the ball down. You know, catches it probably about eye level and then doesn't have much of a bring-the-ball-down motion before he just puts it up. Um, and that one seemed a little excessive, um, to say the least, there. But, yeah, I mean, I would love to see what what is there with Jemias Ramsey. Even, I, I, I don't know, I don't care too much for Justin James, to be honest, being a four-year guy out of college as well. Yeah, I agree um, with you. Never been, a, never been a Justin James believer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think the main thing that really is keeping me engaged for the rest of this season is I want to see a high-usage Tyrese Halliburton, and I think that we've gotten that a little bit in both of these games, but I want to see him be aggressive. You know, there was some, um, yeah, definitely saw that specifically in the Warriors game, you know, semi-transition opportunities lead to mismatches, and there was one possession that Gavon Looney is switched on to him and and he goes to the ball and demands it and then breaks him down with a left right cross off the dribble and gets to the line there was a play in this game um man I'm drawing a blank who it was against but it was an opposing center on uh, Dallas's roster that he broke down in isolation off the dribble there was a play in the fourth quarter it might have been one of his only few buckets in that quarter um, where he attacked a closeout and then hit a mid-range jumper. And it's just like, I just want to see plays like this where, you know, it's more of this flashes of high upside, some somewhat of self-creation or a two-man game where Halliburton is the focal point of the offense. And I want him to be aggressive, not pass first. I want him to be looking to make something happen for himself or directly the play right after an easy assist. Um, and, and I think that we have seen that a little bit, and and hopefully we get some Jr. and and Woodard when he's healthy as well. And um, as you pointed out, I would I, I would absolutely love to see some Halliburton Bagley pick and roll because if Bagley is going to be a willing screener, which is a big if at this point in his career, he you know the while I am very skeptical of Bagley's game moving forward, I think it's pretty reasonable to say that he can be a role threat in the league. Um, with some tuning to various aspects of his game here and there. Um, and, and Halliburton is certainly, I would say, you know, elite upside as a as a guard in the pick and roll. So that would be uh, definitely something I'm looking forward to watching here. But, um, yeah, man, do you have any kind of final thoughts here? No, I completely agree with you. These games without De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton's opportunity to really be aggressive with his offense. And, uh, you know, season of Zen, closing it out, I think, at this point, you just want to learn as much as you can about the players who are going to be on this team next year. And Tyrese Halliburton is a face of this franchise moving forward. So 
I really hope he takes advantage of this opportunity. Yeah, and uh, we, we did get to watch some Josh Green tonight. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> At dunk was a great. Yeah. So <laughs> would very much like to uh, figure out some way to trade uh, Buddy Heald to uh, Dallas for uh, one or two of their young guys. Let's make it happen. I cannot – I don't know. Maybe I don't want to dive into it too much, but I can't tell you how much I'm annoyed with Buddy Heald on a night-to-night basis. Um, oh, my God. You didn't even see – did you see the play at the end of the fourth from Buddy? Oh, he I did. fumbled it? I oh, did. my I, God. I, saw, I, I can't believe we almost yeah. did talk about this. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. My <laughs> – I was not watching the game. I was being a uh, – a respectful husband enjoying our first anniversary. And uh, my father-in-law texted me and he said, well, that game couldn't have ended any mess here. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, I have to see what happened here. And Oh, buddy. Yeah. Like, I almost feel bad for him. But he, he, he played that defensive possession really well. He watched that ball. He tracked it. He knew exactly where it was going to go. And, oh, nope, just right off your foot. Like yeah, always. It, yeah, it looked like he – thought about putting it up before he fully gained control of it, you know, and I couldn't help but notice he lost it. It was in his left hand. I don't know if that had to do with it or what, but yeah. I hope uh, I hope Tyrese Halliburton learns from Buddy Heald here and really, I think you tweeted this, I hope he really spends all of his offseason really working on his handle because, um, because he's already an incredibly smart and crafty player, but the next step in his development really is just going to be to all right, what can you do with the ball in your hands? And uh, learning from Buddy, well, learning what not to do from Buddy really could be a, a big benefit to his game in a weird way. Yeah, there was one um, possession where, you know, when Golden State started switching a lot, they were attacking Steph Curry, and, and there was one play Halliburton was able to just blow right past him and finish at the rim, probably should have been an and one. And then there was another one where he just was completely isoing him, and it was a weird possession because Sacramento just looked completely lost. Um, before they realized they were trying to capitalize on that um, switch. And Halliburton ended up carrying it when he was trying to create. And then there was one tonight against Dallas where he kind of got tied up with Josh Green because of a little bit of a loose handle. But, yeah, I absolutely think that that's the way that he takes his game to another level. Um, And, you know, it's totally realistic to think that he makes that jump as well. Like, I I don't think that that's uh, anywhere – near out of the picture or anything like that um yeah and the the next game that we are going to see from sacramento kings is against one of the best teams in the league the utah jazz and that comes on wednesday the 28th at 7 p.m so probably hear from us sometime not too long after that um, but yeah, that, that's going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Definitely check out all the great work that's going on at the King's Herald all the time from all the great writers there. And give a look at the Patreon to support local independent King's coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days here.